On this week's edition of Soaring to New Heights, Tim and Liam are joined by AFLW legend and dual code specialist, Jess Duffin. We discuss Jess's international cricket career, her change to the AFLW and her final season in the AFLW playing for the Hawthorne Hawks. This and so much more on St. C's Senior Cohort's favourite podcast, Soaring to New Heights. Hello and welcome to Soaring to New Heights, the AFLW podcast series that looks at the inaugural season of the Hawthorne AFLW team. My name is Tim and we're joined by co-host Liam. Liam, how are you going this evening? I'm well, Tim. How are you? Very excited for tonight and we probably need to update that intro at some point. Yeah, look, we probably do need to update that one. So you're right, Liam, very excited for tonight. So tonight on our podcast, we are joined by a player who can fit into the caliber of Erin Phillips, the Levi sisters, Elise Perry and Ellie Cole due to her dual sporting prowess. The woman on our podcast tonight played 117 international cricket games for Australia, all conquering Southern Stars, where her honours included an ODI World Cup, three World, 20, uh, three World T20s, two Player of the Series of Linda Clark Award, which is for the best women's player for Australia, playing in two women's ashes, and that doesn't even touch on her domestic achievements. Subsequently, she played 42 AFLW games for Collingwood, North Melbourne, and most importantly, Hawthorne, a woman who right now holds a Hawthorne AFLW record for games and marks, both equal, as well as being the outright record goal scorer. She'll forever be one of the first 44 women to play in the AFLW and one of the first 21 to play for Hawthorne in the AFLW competition. A pioneer and inspiration and a legend, and also the inaugural vice captain of the Hawthorne AFLW team. We welcome Jess Duffin. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> If you're ever having a bad day, we can put that on a CD for you and you can re- replay that over and over again. <laughs> Quite a record that you have there. I, I could have put a lot more on that rundown as well, by the way, Tim. Absolutely. So thanks <laughs> thanks very much for joining us tonight, Jess. Now, obviously, started off retirement. How is that treating you so far? Yeah, so far so good. Um, just gives me a little more time to... Um, I guess spend more time with Georgie. Um, haven't really been able to to do that much with her, especially the Christmas period, just with um obviously the AFLW and and um you know WBBL sort of happening over that time. So um, it's been nice just to be able to you know use that build up towards Christmas with her and get her a little bit excited for that. That's absolutely fantastic. I'm sure she's enjoying having some more quality time with mum around. I, I do believe, though, she'd probably be missing being around the uh, the footy club. Obviously, during your last game in Victoria, she was out there with you on the ground. That would have been a wonderful moment for both you and Georgie. Yeah, it was. It was really nice considering, um, you know, obviously the, the two seasons um, before that was was COVID so um couldn't have her in at the club and um she couldn't I couldn't really enjoy that time with her um at North Melbourne and um yeah obviously it wasn't North Melbourne's fault that COVID hit um but yeah it was nice obviously with Hawthorne allowing her into the rooms and um being able to join me on the ground so um although she might not remember it quite now um I'm sure she'll she'll be able to remember it in a few years time when um we can show her what what you know she did with mum and um what mum was able to achieve while um she was around and not to mention what mum achieved before she was around. And also in that little in-between stage, we'll talk about that WBBL season a bit later. So 
just moving on to to your cricket actually a bit. That's, I think that's as good a segue as I can get. Um, you were twice player of the final in international tournaments, a World T Twenty and a One Day International final. And by the way, this ability to stand up carried over to your footy as well. Um, why do you think you were able to stand up in those moments? Like, why do you think you were always able to stand up and be counted when it mattered most? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I get asked it all the time. Um, I don't really have a, a great answer for it. Um, yeah, I think a lot is to do with, um, obviously it's a, it's a game that it's a must win. Um, so you're doing everything you can to try and help the team. And, um, yeah, I guess I was a little bit lucky in the, in those world cups, um, had a really good partnership with Rachel Haynes, who was a, who was a older member and, um, was still around or she's still around now. I think she just retired. So. Um, it was nice that I could just be out in the middle with her. And um, when you've got that kind of cool, calm, collected person at the other end, it makes, um, you know, the batting and stuff at my end a lot easier. So um, I was really lucky to be able to do it with Rach. So obviously, yeah, definitely. So um, first question, I guess, to, to go with that is when did you start playing cricket and what actually prompted the initial choice of playing cricket? Yeah, so um, I've got um, an older brother. Um, an older sister and a younger sister, but um, my older brother and my dad were the ones that played cricket. Um, so I was just kind of following my, my older brother around who at the time probably didn't like it um, as much as I did. But um, yeah, pretty much went through Milo, which um, I think they call it something different now, but um, it's pretty much, you know, your, your Oz kick, I guess, for, for cricket. Um, did all that and just kept going up through the chain. So, you know, under 10s, under 12s, all that sort of stuff through Seabrook Cricket Club. And, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough that my primary school teacher in grade six um, knew that I played cricket and kind of just asked me if I wanted to try out for the Victorian team. So um, that's kind of where it all started. I then um, flowed, you know, from um, primary school to, to under 15s, to under 17s, to then under 19s. And then obviously lucky enough to be playing open age women's um cricket Victoria and that's where I got picked up playing for Australia so I'm very lucky I was only 19 at the time so um yeah extremely lucky and extremely grateful for the opportunities I've been given and and speaking of opportunities that that also what led to you deciding cricket was your go rather than footy at least at first instance just because there was actually a clear pathway for women to play at a higher level um yeah 100 percent when when I was um under 12s um I stopped playing footy for Werribee districts um, just because they didn't have a team after that. Um, so, yeah, it made my decision obviously a lot easier in terms of, um, you know, the pathway I was going to take um, considering there wasn't really a pathway for, for women in AFL back then. So I think that was around the same time as Penny Coolerade went to court to fight to be able to play with the boys. So, um, yeah, it definitely helped my decision. I, you know, I'm a bit envious of those girls that get the opportunity now to, to make that decision. But, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely there was not that pathway for me back then. So what are some of the lessons, Jess, that you learned from cricket that you were able to take over and apply during your AFLW career? Um, oh, a bit of that resilience. Um, you know, I think any sports person, um, you know, especially in cricket, if, you know, I'm a batter, so if I don't make runs, um, you get in your head a lot, you know, about um, not being picked and, you know, all that sort of stuff and not being able to go on tours and um, not making runs for either your state or your country and, you know, that disappointment of, um, I guess, your family as well because they're all watching and they're all watching you to do well and, um, yeah, just just kind of not getting over that but 
trying to uh, work your way around it and making sure that, you know, one game doesn't lead to two bad games to three bad games kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's, you know, and the fight, I guess, with, with cricket, um, you know, leading into today, I felt kind of really helped as well. Um, and I guess just having that structure as well, knowing what a high performance program looked like um, really helped me with the AFLW space. And to tie on with that one, obviously you were one of the best white ball cricketers uh, in the world. What actually prompted the switch to the AFLW? Um, yes, I suppose. Um, I think it was about 2015. Um, I kind of wasn't enjoying cricket anymore. Um, and then uh, at the same time, AFLW was kind of just getting introduced. And um, I didn't actually think the AFLW was um, going to be in so quickly. Um, you know, obviously they were talking around 2020 kind of thing. So, um, yeah, kind of just fell um you know, in that, in that kind of same space. So um, I had an outlet, I guess, to not think about cricket um, and I got the opportunity to play some AFL, um, which was kind of nice because, um, yeah, again, <laughs> when it's such it's – a, it's a team sport, cricket, but it's also a very individual sport. Um, so, yeah, to get out of your own headspace and um, be able to play a different sport and just um, not think about it was something that was really nice. And, um, yeah, like I said, I was kind of just in a – in a space where I wasn't enjoying cricket anymore. Um, so, yeah, trying to find the love for cricket again. And um, unfortunately, I just didn't find that um, for that season. So just went into the AFL. <laughs> Fair enough. And you still were quite good at both Australian football and cricket. And speaking of switching over, we've got a very loyal listener of the show named Braden, who's an avid football and cricket supporter. And he has asked me to ask you, which cricketers do you think would also be well-suited to Aussie rules, and do you think any would join you in what's currently the one-woman club of an all-Australian blazer and a Southern Stars cap? Yeah, um, it's a good question because you kind of now see, um, I watch obviously a lot of women's um, cricket now on TV and um, they always show the pregame and, you know, their warm-ups and stuff like that and there's a lot of girls having a kick of the footy. So, um, you know, they've always spoken about, um, you know, Elise Perry trying to get into it just because of her build and her athletic ability. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I have had a kick with her before um, and she kind of has that rugby rugby style technique. So um, I'm sure it wouldn't take much to to change that. But, um, yeah, there's also Annabelle Sutherland. Um, she she was obviously um, a really good cricketer, um, but she's also a really, really good footballer um, and dominated her, uh, I think, school sports um, for, for the AFL. So um, there's a couple there. Um, but whether or not that change over, I'm not sure. <laughs> So their prerogative, and if they want to sign at Hawthorne, if they're good enough, they're more than welcome. <laughs> now, in the 2019-2020, uh, you were the captain uh, for the, the team of the tournament for the WBBL. You're also an active AFLW player at that point, albeit during the off-season, uh, and you're also pregnant during the season. How did you manage that? Uh, yeah, it was a bit full-on, um, very full-on. Um, yeah, again, it was just... Um, I was very lucky that both that both the AFLW and the WBBL allowed me to to keep cross coding, um, and yeah, give me that opportunity to be able to captain as well as um train and play in that period. Um, I kind of I wouldn't have actually found out I was pregnant if I wasn't talking to one of my good mates um at the time in the team, um Leah Tahuhu. So um yeah, she she was. I didn't even know how it came up, but I was telling her a few things about what was going on. And, um, yeah, she told me to probably need to, 
to go test myself. Um, so, yeah, if she wasn't around, I probably wouldn't have, have known through the season. Um, but, yeah, again, just very lucky with the support that I had. Tim Coyle, the coach at the time, and Jess Gamble, who was our team manager, um, I told them pretty much straight away. Um, and, yeah, they were just really good about it. Um, Tim really supported me in that um, and just made sure that I was okay and right to play. Um, and there was a game in Sydney that I just – wasn't right to play so um we made the decision not to play so you got to have that really good support around you and um not once have I not felt that um when I've been playing both sports so um yeah very lucky that's good it's obviously especially in footy it's obviously quite a new infrastructure that's kind of had to be dealt with we haven't seen the news in the last couple of days surrounding shorts like it's a whole for administrators I've meant it's a whole new and much need and needs to be addressed challenge but it's it's good that there's always that support there for you guys. Now, this is a Hawthorne AFLW show, so we should probably move on to that at some point. <laughs> but we would be very remiss not to talk about your other achievements in the AFLW because you are a foundation player. Um, so in 2017, you played in the historic Icon Park lockout. How did that feel both at the time? And is your perspective any different looking back? Um, it was very unique, obviously. Um, I don't think we were expecting it at all. Um, we were kind of just going there expecting, you know, our family and friends to basically be, be there. Um, but I guess, you know, it, it was a inaugural thing that, you know, only was going to ever happen once. And um, I guess that's why a few of the, the AFLW fans got behind it and just came and watched just to see what it was all about. Um, so they could say they were there when it when it all started. But, um, yeah, it was really nice to, to think that there were so many people there interested um, for a start because obviously it was the first game ever. Um, and then, yeah, to be able to do it in front of your family is even better. Now, during your AFLW career, you, you started as a forward and then moved into the back line. And some would say you became the quintessential swing person because of your ability to play both forward and back. What actually prompted that transition in the first place? Yeah, so I was playing at Collingwood um, and the coach, Wayne Seekman at the time, just told me one game I was going back and um, I kind of looked at him and said, I've never played down back in my life, um, but I'm happy to give it a go. And um, yeah, again, you know, they gave me the support to be able to learn um, the craft of being in the back line. So um, I think it was more just to do with um, the way that we could get the ball out of our back line and how we use the ball um, going forward. So um, yeah, again, I'm not going to question, um, you know, my role or anything in the team. And I'm just happy to, to contribute um, if I can on the day. And um, yeah, definitely, um, enjoy being forward more, um, but yeah, definitely want to do what's right for the team and was happy to go down back. It's always nice to kick goals rather than stop them. <laughs> definitely, yeah. <laughs> Having said that, you, you could play down back and that's actually what our next question is going to be. Really. Um, 2019, you named in the All-Australian team as a defender. So could you just talk about that, that season bit, please, which made also made you the first and to date only Southern star to have an All-Australian blazer in your possession? Yeah, um, I think it just came from, um, again, a, a, lot, a lot of my stuff and a lot of my success is just due to having um, the backup of either my coach or my teammates. Um, and so a lot of credit goes to, goes to them. And um, Scott Gowans at the time just gave me a license really um, to be able to read the play and, and take intercept marks and come off my player. And, um, yeah, just I felt really comfortable doing that, knowing that, um, you know, he was the one kind of driving it. So, um, yeah, definitely helps when you have support around you with, with the back line that we had at the time and I could do that. Um, 
but yeah, I suppose it's probably even changing now. I think um, more teams are going to that kind of, you know, one-on-one defense and not so much trying to, to intercept and, and drop off as much. Um, but yeah, we'll see how the AFLW continues to grow in the next few years. You were speaking before about the, the marking. So your ability to, to go off your player and take those intercept marks. Now, despite not being the tallest player, your marking was a real asset of yours. So if you think about round five against the Swans, uh, played at, uh, sorry, played at Richmond's home ground. So the Swinburne Center, uh, you were intercepting in the back line. Round six, you went up forward against West Coast. You took some amazing marks in that second quarter to get Hawthorne into the lead. And you led the league average for marks three times. How did you go about working on that skill specifically? Um, if I'm being honest, I didn't really. Um, I think a lot of it, came from um, cricket, just just cricket and just, um, you know, hand-eye coordination kind of thing. Um, but again, you've got to have that kind of backing from your coach and your team to be able to have the confidence to do it. Um, and I certainly felt that. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't know, just <laughs> probably lucky I was playing cricket and footy at the time to keep my um, hand-eye coordination in check. Well, your hands were certainly sticky. I think a couple of your marks actually made our long list, and I think one made the short list from memory for our Mark of the Year award that we did a few weeks ago. Oh, that's nice to know. <laughs> Didn't win, but that's, you know, that's... That's okay. The thought the thought was there. <laughs> there were there were a fair few options. I think, Tim, the long list was about 10, wasn't it, for that award or something? It was quite a long... The long list was actually quite long. Yeah, there were 10. So I think we had two of yours, Jess, one for round five, one for round six. Pendles had two in round five. We had a Kesh in round nine, I think it was, against the Lions. The overall winner, which was Laura Elliott's from round nine, uh, and a few others as well. So there was a, a fair list in terms of that. And from our list that we made, we didn't even get the Hawthorne mark of the year, which was taken oh, out by uh, <laughs> by Ainsley. That wasn't um, even in our shortlist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> well, that's that's called subjective awards. But um. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so again, just going back a little bit. North, you played for North Melbourne in their expansion season. You played for Collingwood in the inaugural season of the competition. You played for Hawthorne in the expansion season. Um, specifically about North Melbourne, they took a very different list building approach for expansion. And yep. do you think that experience of being in an expansion team helped when you were at Hawthorne, especially in your leadership role? Um, oh, yes and no. I think um, the way how hard North Melbourne went to recruit players and, and um, I guess, you know, be really competitive from the start um, was something that, you know, drew me over. Um, but this time it was different. I felt obviously I was at a different stage in my career um, I was basically being shown the door from North Melbourne. So um, there was an opportunity to go across to, to Hawthorne and I just used this last season to really um, try and be better as a person but also a player, but um, more in trying to teach the young kids what it's like to be in uh, um, you know, a, a fully professional program, even though you're not getting paid fully professionally um, and just little things like that, like nutrition and and you know, training ethic and um, I guess just the way that um, the culture we wanted to build at, Hawth- at Hawthorne. So, um, yeah, it probably was a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of, um, again, I was just grateful for being able to have this last season because I didn't feel like I finished, um, you know, last season with North Melbourne the way that I wanted to. So, um, yeah, yeah, feeling very <laughs> or feeling much better about um, my career and um, 
you know, my, my AFLW kind of pathway now that um, Hawthorne gave me that opportunity to finish the way I did. Well, but if the AFL want to make sure they're paying players properly, um, there's a CBA negotiation going on at the moment, so um, feel free. <laughs> we talked about that at length. We'll talk about that a bit more later. But so you, you kind of answered it already. But what what did draw you across to Hawthorne? Because Aileen Gilroy and Caitlin Ashmore, who we have not asked these questions to, we're not. There's no plan to interview them at the moment, either way. Um, they could say you because you, but you because you were the first of our players to come across from North Melbourne. And yes, we did go back through the dates and check. Yeah. So what drew you across? Was it that fact that North Melbourne didn't seem that keen on retaining you or from what you said earlier? Um, yeah, look, as I said, you've always got to have another option if, you know, one door is closing kind of thing. And um, I spoke to Beck pretty early on um, when it was all happening and um, the way that uh, Hawthorne, you know, they're, they're not only the way they were going to recruit, but the way they were going to play and, and the game style that they wanted to try and play. Um, drew me across as well because it was all about attack um, and just being able to back ourselves and, and not worrying too much about um, our mistakes. Um, so yeah, Beck was one um, a big a big influence on me coming across. Um, and then yeah, I could probably say that I got Cashy and, and Gilly both across because I was texting trying to get them across, but they'll probably tell you otherwise. You did a fantastic job of getting them across. So we're very appreciative for those text messages that you sent them uh, to bring them to Hawthorne. You were speaking before about coming to Hawthorne and that culture. Yeah. What, what is the culture like? So that the players and staff have created. It's so obviously fledgling club. We know in terms of membership, Hawthorne was fifth for AFLW members this season, which is quite, uh, quite an impressive achievement considering it was first season. And as you said, we had such a young list. Uh, what was the culture like that the players and staff have created? Um, I think the the biggest thing that they tried to drill in was just um, team first, like team first mentality, um, whether that be, you know, it's thinking about on field and off field. Um, so that that was, you know, um, how we as a leadership group too tried, tried to drive the team. And, um, you know, it's always going to be hard when you've got a play, players of, you know, a list of 30 and you can only play 21, 22. So, um, yeah, you know, that sort of thing comes into it as well. But we just wanted to make sure that, you know, the players that missed out didn't ever feel like they weren't a part of the team or a part of the training session or a part of, you know, whatever was going on. So that that was um, probably one focus area that we really tried to, to key in on um, this season. That's probably epitomised the fact that we played every single player at some point in the season, I'd imagine, as well. Yeah, like pro- probably I'm not, I'm, I'm, I can't um, speak for the coaches, but um, yeah, you just got to be ready. That was our thing. You know, you've got a list of 30 and at any point anyone will be playing. So you just got to be ready um, and you got to train like you, you're going to be playing on the weekend. Yeah, well, 70% of the list plays every week. So again, AFL, feel free to look at list sizes, especially with injuries, but that's, yeah. So you were named as our an inaugural historic Vice captain in and as a member of a four person leadership group, um, for such a young side, how was that in terms of as an honor for and recognition, I guess, for your outstanding contribution to the game and the club? Yeah, look, I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, as I said to you before, I, I just wanted to go in to a new club with you know a hell of a lot of young players, um, and be able to to try and influence them a little bit in how how we train how you know all of that stuff was was happening and you know going into the gym and all that sort of stuff so um you know I wasn't expecting um vice captaincy or anything like that I just wanted to be the best version of me and um you know 
try and get these young kids um, going for their first season. So, um, look, Tilly, Tilly was a great captain um, for someone so young. Um, and, you know, obviously her journey is a lot different to, to mine um, in terms of how she's gotten to where she is. But um, just, you know, her real drive and, um, you know, she's had resilience over her years as well. So um, she's been able to teach that to the group as well. So, um, yeah, I was quite happy. Um, to sit behind Till um, and just try and get this squad um, into a position where, you know, the next few years we can have some really good success. Speaking of Tilly, you and Tilly were the only two of our leadership team who were available for the majority of the season with the injuries to Tam Luke and also Lou Stevenson. Who really stepped up in that period as a leader to assist both yourself and Tilly, both at training and also on game day? Um, There was a few. Caitlin Ashmore was one of them. Um, and again, Aileen Gilroy was was probably the other one. Um, Gilly's very much, as soon as we kind of cross that line, has a bit of white line fever. Um, so, yeah, she she was one to to get us into, you know, quarter time or half time and um, have a chat to us all. And sometimes I had to kind of tap her on the tap her on the back to try and get her to shut up. Um, <laughs> but she really stepped up and, you know, she's all about, um, you know, winning and, and being that kind of um, – you know, really successful team. So, um, yeah, she kind of had the same motivations as Tilly and I, which really helped um, drive the group. She can um, she can play football a bit as well. Um, so, if you don't mind, we'll just quickly go through a few of the the individual games with you this season because you played some stellar games and also some significant ones. Uh, round one, we, whenever we have a player on, we always ask about round one, Marvel Stadium, twelve thousand people against Team Redacted. Um, yeah. How was that experience? Um, yeah, again, it was very different because we had a lot of young kids and um, there was, you know, obviously a hell of a lot of nerves flying around the change room. Um, but for me, it was the first time that I could take Georgie out with me as well. So um, just having that um, to look back on is really something that I'll never forget um, and hopefully Georgie never forgets. Um, but, yeah, I think it was more just, you know, we we got this team together in such short time um, you know, and there's not much training that we did. It was probably a 10-week block where we kind of had everyone, um, which, you know, um, you got to try and quickly learn game style, quickly learn coaches, um, the way they want to play, the way the teammates want to play, all that sort of stuff. So um, just to be able to get out there and play with um, those teammates that you've only known for 10 weeks um, was something very different. But um, I thought, you know, yeah, we lost, um, but we showed what what we want to be like and um, what we want to be known for in the next few years. Yeah, those first three quarters were absolutely amazing in terms of watching the connection of the team. As you said, I think it was about between eight and ten weeks of that preseason that you actually had together and with, with the youth of the team as well. To be able to watch that team come together on that night and playing some incredible football was fantastic. And then throughout the season, obviously, the connections and combinations continue to grow. And we moved to round five, where we had the first ever victory against the Swans at the Swinburne Centre. Can you talk to us about that game? Yeah, I think um, that was a lot different because there was a lot of pressure on us. Um, you know, we were expected to win, um, which I don't think our group really handled that well. Um you know, there's there's expectations from us as a group, but there's also that external expectation. I think the girls look too much externally um, instead of internally. Um, and so, yeah, it was, you know, you get jumped by 
Sydney and they're four goals up at quarter time and um, you're thinking there's no way we can come back from here. Um, but he comes back down the stairs and um, gives us a bit of a spray. <laughs> a <bit>. um, <laughs> which, you know, we definitely needed. She hadn't given us anything up until that point and there was times throughout the preseason and also throughout, you know, the four games before that that I thought we could have copped a little clip. Um, but no, she was calm, collected. But then, yeah, that first quarter and just we just got outplayed. Um, and, yeah, that little spray that she gave us kind of kicked us back in gear. And um, it was just really nice to be able to come back like that. I don't think any any teams come back from four goals down in the AFLW. So, um, yeah, that was something really special as well. You you and Lucy Wales, to me, were the two players who really prevented the margin from being even more at quarter time. Like you were intercepting everything and then... Lucy took a mark that reminded me of Leo Barry in the last minute of the quarter as well to prevent another break. So I think you're selling your own role in that game short of it as well because without you and Lucy in that first quarter, Sydney are probably out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, it was it was very different for me. Um, it was coming in pretty hot um, and we just couldn't stop them. There was, you know, they had all this momentum and we just couldn't stop them. Um, so, yeah, quarter time probably didn't come <laughs> quick enough for us. But um, after that, we kind of gathered our compose, like we composed ourselves again. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. So the next week we win again, but you play a very different role. So West Coast <laughs> decide to throw an extra player down behind the ball in the second and fourth quarter. I'll say that backfired to be kind to their coach. Um, so could you yeah. talk about that game a bit, please? Yeah, so um, we kind of, I kind of um, was training a little bit in the forward line that week um, just in case something like that happened. Um, but my expectation was that, you know, I was only ever going to be down back. I didn't think, you know, the plan was going to come um, to fruition. So, um, yeah, I kind of just went into the game thinking that I was going to be in the back line the whole game. Um, and then, yeah, my player... Um, in the second quarter, I think it was, went into our um, forward line um, and I kind of got a message to say run with her, um, go with her and make her accountable down there because I think at that time they were kind of still, you know, intercepting and um, spoiling and, you know, it was making it really difficult for us to score. So, yeah, I just went down there and I didn't really know what I was doing but I just assumed that, you know, I'd play how I'd been playing at Collingwood when I was up forward. So, um, yeah, again, I was <laughs> very lucky with some of it. Um, and I don't even think my player knew that I'd gone down there at that point, um, which was kind of nice because it meant that no one was near me. You picked three goals in a quarter. I think playing off instinct, if that might, that obviously works. <laughs> but you kicked three goals in a quarter. That's, I don't know if you had ever done that before in the AFLW or not. I probably should have gone back and checked. That would have been good preparation, Liam. But... Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> it hasn't happened. <laughs> And then we moved to round 10. So obviously your final game in the AFLW and in the lead up, you knew that you were going to retire playing away from home, second interstate game for the girls, obviously this time traveling over to WA. So a bit different than the, uh, the GWS game. How was the lead up for that? Yeah, it was obviously a bit of an emotional week. Um, and, you know, not for me, but probably for Cashy because she was the one that kept crying every time I'd get up and speak to the group. But <laughs> um, yeah, it was more just, you know, I knew that it was coming. Um, you have those kind of feelings of, all right, well, let's just get this done. Um, but then I obviously wanted to win. So 
um, you know, it's, re- it's really hard just to go through the motions. Um, and it's, it's especially, um, you know, when you've been in a, an elite program for so long too, I kind of don't feel like I could ever do that. Um, so yeah, it was more just trying to get through that week. Um, and knowing that, you know, my family wasn't going to be there, um, probably made it easier because it meant that it was probably going to be less emotional after the game. Um, so yeah, it was just more, um, Everyone was checking in on me. My whole teammates checking me. I said, I'm fine, but you better check with Cashy. Um, because <laughs> she was taking it. Um, yeah, she she's funny, Cashy. Um, but yeah, she, you know, I've played a lot of footy with her. Um, so she was a bit emotional about it all. But um, yeah, you know, I thought that was a kind of nice touch anyway. Didn't feel like people would care that much. And then when um Cashy kind of got emotional and then Gilly got emotional, um, yeah, it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. <laughs> Uh, Caitlin, if you ever want to defend yourself against all these drive-bys, feel free to let us know. But um, <laughs> also maybe a little drive-by for Jess here. Um, passing wasn't on your agenda that day, was it? You had five disposals, four of which were kicks, two goals, two, so four shots on goal from five disposals. Yeah. Um, so did I told the passing I, note missing. Yeah, I told um Talia because I think we we're on. I think someone pointed out that we we're on the same amount of goals, or maybe I was one in front of her going to last round. Um, so I told her that you know, you've got to get your own footy because otherwise I'm kicking goals. Um, and that's also I told her if she found the ball, I'd touch it on the line. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, again, look, I'm, you know, very lucky with, with you know, the group that I had this season and how much fun I had with them and, um, you know, the coaching group and, you know, just made everything so much easier um, and just really enjoyed my last season with, with Hawthorne. And, um, yeah, some of these girls are going to be absolute superstars by the time, um, you know, they're my age and they're retiring. So, um, yeah, just watch this space in the next few years for Hawthorne. Some of them are close to that now. And you've actually segued us very nicely onto the next question. Uh, <laughs> Fellows won the club's most improved award for the season. And you've just talked about players developing and progressing. So which players should we see soaring to new heights in 2023 and beyond? Um, yeah, well, obviously Talia. Um, Talia, you know, showed what she she's capable of this season. Um, I think, um, obviously, Pendles, Lucy Wales. Um, you know, she's, she's I know, it's scary to think how good that kid's going to get. Um, Jazz Fleming. Um, everyone's seen how good she is. Um, but yeah, I think the one that kind of, um, flies under the radar a little bit is little Tam, Tam Smith. Um, you know, I think she did a lot of our bulk work in the midfield this season. So, um, yeah, she was probably underrated in a way. Um, and she'll, she'll go on to do you know really good things for, for hopefully Hawthorne for a very long time. Yeah, we certainly don't underrate the tiny T's Tilly and Tamara on this show. <laughs> <laughs> don't get started on Lucy Wales with me. Tim will vouch for. <laughs> I could talk about Lucy Wales for a while as someone who likes <laughs> the ruck position greatly. Yeah, no, she's she's obviously going to be a very very good player. So, um, yeah, yeah, and I think she's probably still growing too. Yeah, she did a phenomenal job considering the first game. You know, she played as a, a part ruck person, and then second game, Tam Luke goes down in the first five seconds and. Pendles for the rest of the season. So she did a phenomenal job. And then you were just talking about Tam Smith and in terms of that fifth for the AFL tackles this year in her first AFLW season. So definitely two for us to keep an eye on. Now we have a question here based on, on your children. So based on Georgie and obviously you're pregnant at the moment with a son. You've played for three AFLW teams soon to have two children. Where will their allegiance as supporters lie? <laughs> um... On a Hawthorne podcast, mate. 
Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, oh, look, it depends what what uh, mates of mine decide to buy him a jumper. Um, that's how pretty much it all starts. So, <laughs> no, nah, look, I think uh, my husband's a very big Geelong supporter. So, um, between Geelong and Hawthorne, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, Beck, if you're listening to this, we need to get a lifetime membership for Georgie now. We'll just carry it through. <laughs> Yeah, and Jess is probably deserving of being a club life member, to be honest, with her contribution in one season. So absolutely, can, um, Hawthorne, there's an AGM coming up. You can arrange that. And just to follow up then as well, because you've obviously decided to at least give football away. So will you still be involved with Hawthorne or any other club, or is at least in the short term, and probably a bit of an unfair question given your current situation that we just talked about, or is football in the rearview mirror as an occupation completely? Um, no, definitely um, looking to do some coaching with the VFLW side at Hawthorne. Um, you know, Beck had a chat to me through the season and obviously knew that I was retiring and knew that I was pregnant. So I uh, just asked me what my kind of next move was. And um, yeah, I kind of just got talking to her about that. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's something that is for me, but um, I really want to give it a try. And, um, you know, if it is something for me, hopefully I'm around Hawthorne for a little bit longer, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I've, I've kind of told him that, I won't be doing anything until after Christmas just so that I can have this period with Georgie um, and then, yeah, look at it after that and just, you know, I'm obviously pregnant and we'll be still pregnant um, in January. So <laughs> um, it just depends how all that's going and how I'm feeling and um, when and, you know, what days I can kind of get there. But hoping I can get there to at least some of the games um, to, you know, support the girls and, again, try and develop these young kids coming through. You spoke about Beck and obviously your conversation with her and how she sort of asked you to, to go and help uh, possibly be like a developmental coach in the VFLW. What was Beck like as a coach and what, what were her strengths this season? Yeah, it's um, it's a really good question. I just, um, and I kind of probably don't even know how to describe it, but, um, you know, I walked into a meeting with her and Josh and Mitch and, you know, when they were pitching, um, you know, what Hawthorne could offer me and, um, you know, kind of what it might look like. And just as soon as I walked in there, I just had a feeling that Beck, it was just going to be, you know, a really good relationship. Um, and I think it's just due to the fact that her and I are probably both um, very honest in terms of um, feedback and everything like that. And that's really what I like. Um, I don't I don't like being told, you know, wishy-washy stuff. Just give it to me straight down the line. Um, we're all here to get better. So I'd rather hear it from the coach. Um, and that was probably one thing that, you know, I really respected um, because some, some coaches find it really hard to do that. Um, and the other one was obviously she's very compassionate um, to be able to keep my secret for, you know, 10 or so weeks before I could announce anything um, is, is a credit to her and just the way that, um, you know, she obviously keeps that confidentiality and um, I was quite comfortable giving her that information, knowing that she probably wasn't going to say anything. Um, so yeah, it was just nice to have someone there that knew what I was going through. Um, and just kind of, if I ever needed to bounce anything off, um, I could go over to her and have a chat. Sounds like we have a very, in fact, well, we've observed it as well. We've got a very, very good coach at Hawthorne, which is involved in the men's program. So she's obviously the head of our FOW program and yeah, hopefully she's in the box for a long, long time. I think some of the girls are hoping that too. So, yeah, we'll see. Okay, so we're getting towards 
the end of the show. So we, we thought we might move away to just often the person a little bit, even though this first question is going to come back to sports. So, but for those who don't know the story, you have a rather interesting nickname, Soggy. Yeah. Can you tell the story of that a little bit, please? Yeah, I can, but it's very boring. <laughs> All I did was, um, again, it was going back to VPWSA, which is, you know, primary school cricket, um, trialling for, for the Victorian team. And, you know, it wasn't a bowler. Like, I didn't bowl or anything, but it, this thing you had to kind of be able to do that because every kid was bowling and every kid was batting. So um, there was a creek right out the back of these training facilities. Um, so I bowled the ball over the nets and the balls landed in the in the creek um, and I was that scared of the coach at the time um, that I had to just go in and fish it out like I had to bring it back <laughs> so um, I was obviously all wet and um, yeah Mel Jones ended up giving me the nickname Soggy yeah well thankfully you knew how to bat in cricket <laughs> now that you're retired you obviously spoke that you'll be doing a bit of work uh, with the VFLW hopefully post Christmas Aside from taking Georgie to the park or to the zoo, does Jess Duffin have any other retirement plans? Um, not not really, um, considering I'll have two kids very shortly. Um, you know, I, I just love family. Um, so I just hang around my family a lot. Um, so, yeah, they might get sick of me and tell me to try and find something. But um, at this stage, not really. Um, my kind of um, retirement plans are all t- around Georgie and obviously the new bub coming along and um, my husband as well, who's a school teacher. So um, yeah, my plans are kind of whatever they want. Um, you know, I'll kind of do cause I haven't been able to do it for the last few seasons. What is it with all the school teachers here? A lot of teachers. <laughs> Tim's a school teacher. It's because of all the holidays they get. Oh, don't start. Don't, oh, don't start. Don't. <laughs> so we've just recorded, Given that you're a foundation player, I think this question's quite important. We asked it to Lou and a couple of others as well. We've just recorded and released an episode about the future of the AFLW. So where do you see the competition going, both realistically and ideally? Obviously, at the moment, there's a lot of uncertainty. If you want to get quite a long discussion about that, we've got a whole episode devoted to that. (laughs) So what are your thoughts, both yeah, realistically and ideally? What are your thoughts on the future? Um, Yeah, probably... Probably realistic and I like ideally come in the same kind of thing for me because all I want to see is um, you know women being able to be paid full time um, and trained full time so that they're not obviously going from teaching to getting in a car to then going to training to then not going getting home until ten thirty eleven o'clock at night to then repeat it the next day um, that would be that would be something that I would want to look at. Um, I'd hope that they'd be able to start playing double headers. Um, you know, even if it's before a VFLW game or a VFL men's game, sorry. Um, so that the grounds are more available um, and we're not playing on, you know, Box Hill City Oval that, um, you know, we train on and, and the, the covers are over the middle of the wicket because it's a cricket pitch. Um, just little things like that, I guess. Um, bit of, bit of um, equality with the standard of, both grounds and change rooms, um, that would be nice. But, um, you know. Henson Park. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But at, at the same time, um, we're very lucky in the position that we're in. Um, we didn't think it was going to be 
or come as far as it has in the last few seasons. Um, so, again, the AFL um, and, and the people there are doing everything they can to kind of push it, um, but it would be nice if they could push it a little bit faster. <laughs> well, there's a CBA negotiation going on at the moment. There's a good opportunity for them to do something about it. Well, yeah, yeah. Speaking of the grounds, obviously we know about Henson Park and you know the, the health hazard that was there in terms of the change room. And you were just speaking about Box Hill City Oval where you were training and they had the tarps down because obviously it's a cricket uh, cricket oval as well. You played the first game this season at Marble Stadium. The AFL own Marble Stadium. Would you like to see more games played there on a regular basis? Yeah, anytime you can get, um, you know, any sport, not just women's sport, but... Um, yeah, any sport on grounds like that, um, especially when it is the highest level that you can play at in that sport, um, definitely. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be doing that stuff. And and even if it's double headers between, you know, women's games, um, you could be playing two AFLW games in a, in a row or, you know, just little things like that that might help. Um, but, yeah, I know that it can be very challenging at times to juggle because footy and cricket and all that sort of stuff. I, I totally understand that. Um, and obviously being playing at a high level in both sports um, can see the argument for both. Um, but yeah, it would be nice if, um, you know, there was a few ga- uh, grounds dedicated to just AFLW or just AFL um, so that, yeah, we can play more games um, safely, I guess. Yeah. Well, again, they own a stadium. There's a good start. And you sound like you've already listened to our future of the competition podcast. Cause we, <laughs> discuss pretty much that those exact ideas in quite considerable detail so yeah yeah I think it's on everyone's um, mind anyway so yeah hopefully in the next few years we'll see some changes I mean if they can play a double header for the gather round uh, at Adelaide Oval they're playing a double header there you know a game at 12 30 and another game at 4 30 in the afternoon there's no reason that they couldn't do that at Marble Stadium as you were saying and have two AFLW games sort of back-to-back, and you think about yeah. it. We had 12,000 there for Hawthorne and Essendon. You put another two teams in, all of a sudden you've got 25, 30,000 supporters at the stadium. You're only going to help to build. Yeah, that's right. Competition. that's right. But that's a good idea. The AFL don't like those. <laughs> I'm not getting in that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, then this is one question we always like to ask when we get a chance and we've had a few varying answers for one of them and a pretty consistent one for the other. Who's the coach's pet and who is the team's pest? Oh, coach's pet. That's a that's a good one. My name was probably used a fair few times. No. Um, oh, that's good. That's good to know. Um, yeah, that's a hard... Coach's pet is actually a hard... Oh, Sarah Perkins. Um that, that's yeah. one that's come up. There's, there's, yeah. If two names that's come up, that's come up with an asterisk often because of the <laughs> connection. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, um, I'd say, yeah, Perko. Um, and what was the other question? Who's the, the pest? pest? Yeah. Who, who do you not want to be stuck next to on a plane? Who, who, when you get the rooming list, like anyone but you? Oh, Ketch. 100%. <laughs> Ketch or Anya, one of the two. Yeah. Or you gave the same answer. Yeah. yeah. We had, uh, yeah, Tilly. Tilly spoke about a Kesh. She was stuck next to Ketchy on the flight to Sydney, and she said, "Well, it was only sixty minutes. It felt like a hell of a lot longer." Yeah, I was. I was also next to those two. <laughs> that's an in, um, yeah, that's another teammate who's been copping a fair drive on this show from her teammates. 
Yeah. Anya, yes. Anya had it herself. Anya thought she was she and a catch. A catch. Yep. And yeah, well, she was right. Oh, she wasn't. Yeah, she, I, <laughs> I'm not going to comment further. I'm not there. So, Tim, you got anything else to? Yeah, so one last question. Just obviously in terms of this season, we saw the combinations grow and we saw the team really come along in the, in the back half of the season. Obviously, the sky's the limit. Do you think finals are well within the grasp of the team over the next couple of years? Oh, yeah, 100%. I Like I said that on my way out, um, you know, when obviously I told everyone I was retiring and just the fact that I'm so jealous of – of them as a group um, and what they're going to be able to achieve in the next couple of years. And um, I definitely see them playing finals. I mean, whether or not it's next year, but it'll be definitely the year after. Um, I think they'll be a lot closer next year. Um, But yeah, I can definitely see it the year after that, you know, they're up there playing finals, um, especially in the way that they obviously want to play um, and the coaches they have around them. Um, Yeah, they'll, they'll be there. I think we'll also need a new backline coach because Brady Gray's gone back to to WA. Yeah, I know. I was like, I was actually really sad about that. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. Um, but yeah, obviously totally get it. Um, it's his home, home state. Um, you know, everyone wants to be around their family. So any opportunity that you can get to have a job, um, you know, and go back to Perth, you know, uh, you know, it's sad, but at the same time I get it. And it opens up another opportunity or another avenue. So hopefully Hawthorne will be able to add in another uh, wonderful quotes at uh, coach because we know obviously we had Beck as head coach, we had Lou in the forward line uh, coach, we had Dave McKay, so D Mac in the midfield, and then yep. Sherry O'Neill as well, who's the VFLW coach. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely yeah. got some good coaches around us. So, yeah, very lucky. And who knows if the VFLW coaching goes well, we may see Jess Duffin taking position as a coach in a few <laughs> years' time. <laughs> you might, um, you never know, you never know, you never, never say no. <laughs> So I think that's about brings us to the end. So Tim, you want to quickly, we'll wrap up, we'll wrap up and then we'll make just for everything. Not a problem. So in terms of the socials, if you jump on Twitter, it's HFC saw, it's the same as Instagram and also Facebook. Uh, in terms of talking Hawks, where Liam and I do some writing, we do have the Jess Duffin piece, the soggy swan song. I, I wrote that one. That was, that went through a lot of edits, but I was, I was quite happy with that in the end. So that, that one went out after round 10. That's it. So after round 10, and if you stay tuned to Talking Hawks, there's going to be more content for both the men's and women's over the next coming days, weeks, and months. And then finally, we'd like to thank you, Jess, for giving up your time with us. We appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about not only your cricketing career, but also your time at Hawthorne, in which we are very, very proud to be able to say that you played for Hawthorne this season, have done a tremendous job and helped us out the culture of the club that will take them further and further in the future. No, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, and that brings us to the end of Soaring to New Heights. And until next time, go Hawks.